0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, JOY. Keep JOY on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. JOY, a diverse sound for a diverse community.
1: This program contains themes of an adult nature, Word for Word is an in-depth look into the lives of real people, which means this episode may contain explicit accounts of real-life events, including alcohol and drug use. The language used at times may cause some offence, but has been left uncensored due to the accuracy of the story. No offence is intended, and we hope you enjoy the program. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, to over 70 community stations around the nation, this is Word for Word. Coming to you from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Welcome, family and friends, fans and fiends, to my final contribution of Word for Word. I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. I am Benjamin Norris, and it's simply a delight to have continued to work on this show for the Joy Network, which has already featured some of the community's strongest voices. In the tradition of this ongoing program, I continued to look at powerful stories and insights into the life and lifestyle of some incredible people. Each week we've chatted with those in and around our community who have inspired us, entertained us, but mostly they've made an impact on the queer community of Australia. Today's guest is one of them. This woman was born in Melbourne, and while she isn't like the rest of my guests on Word for Word, she is someone who has made a huge impact on my life. This week's guest is a mother of three, and while she's made a living teaching primary school children, it was her lessons on life and love that shaped my ability to be the person I am today. Offering me a friendship alongside her parenting, it wasn't always easy to watch me make mistakes and grow, but somehow she has always been there through the good times and the bad. From being dragged into the Big Brother house in 2012, and then making a public declaration to the former Prime Minister Julia Gillard about marriage equality, it's never been a dull moment since the day she brought me into the world. So today's final episode of Word for Word is the story of a mother's unwavering love for her gay son. So I'd like to welcome you and I'd like to welcome my mum, Jane Needham, to Word for Word.
0: I think I had a pretty good childhood. We were given a fair amount of freedom. My parents were very young when they had myself and my brother.
1: Were you worried for me, being a mother who has a gay son?
0: I'm Jane and I'm Ben's mum. Well, Benjamin is unpredictable at the best of times, so how on earth... Will he be able to contain himself when he sees his mum tonight? Jane. Hello, Big Brother.
1: Big Brother believes you parked your car illegally today because you're looking fine. Is he scheming and plotting his way to win, or is he just being himself?
0: I don't think so. I think he's just being himself. He's naturally funny. I don't think he's that competitive. He loves giving advice to everyone.
1: Jane, if you had one message for Benjamin, what would it be? I'm
0: so proud of you.
1: Every day I said to everyone all the things that you taught me.
0: I think we just need to be inclusive in this world.
1: Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. (laughs) I've listened to your show for quite some time, been entertained by it. I have no idea why I'm here, but we'll see.
1: (laughs) Well, you need to clear up something for me once and for all. Who is your favourite child?
0: I really do not have a (laughs) favourite.
1: Come on, there's got to be one that you like more than the other.
0: Absolutely not. They're so different, each one of them, and I love them all.
1: (laughs) But you were a teacher for most of your career. Yes, yes. In a classroom, did you have favourite students?
0: Mm, Not really. I have a problem deciding on my favourite TV show, my favourite colour, my favourite of anything. I like the diversity of people. And I definitely cannot say that I like one thing more than another. It changes. What
1: about this, though? Because you're the eldest in your family. So does that mean that you have an affinity with my older brother, Mark? Because you're both the eldest in a sibling hierarchy?
0: Mm, I don't think we relate in that way. I still just see him as my son. What
1: about personality traits? Can you see things in yourself or do any of your kids have traits that you go, that's mine?
0: Let me see. I'm trying to think of what I see in you. I think you have the empathy that I have. I think you like interacting with people like I do. A
1: genuine interest.
0: Yes. I see some things in you that I saw in my grandparents, my grandfathers and my father Wow! in that you like, the storytelling, you're interested in people, you're curious about people, you see the diversity in people and appreciate that diversity in people. And that is definitely my father and my grandfathers were very much like
1: that. But I loved the art of storytelling.
0: Yes, yes, and I always did too. And we always enjoyed sitting around the dinner table every Sunday listening to each other and it was mainly the storytelling of my grandfathers as I was growing up and then later on my father and still my brothers Mm. and it's a great way of bonding oh
1: 100 percent
0: in your family life and family has always been really important throughout the generations
1: don't you think it's really weird that your side of the family we would always catch up for sunday lunches and there was no animosity. There
0: were some people who felt that their voice wasn't heard because they didn't know how to enter the conversation. And then I was often criticised for just talking over the top of people. But (laughs) I just learnt early on that if you wanted to voice an opinion, you just had to put it out there.
1: (laughs) See, that's what I think I got from the Hendrickson side of the family. And even last night, I went out for dinner with dad's side of the family. And my auntie said, Oh, Ben, you talk over the top of me. I, you, I can't be heard. And I said, well, think of something better to say.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That's <laughs> their problem.
1: <laughs> like, we're, we do stop and we do go yeah. to listen to it. And if but- it's
0: interesting enough, they will stop and listen.
1: I know. But see, I think that that to me is ingrained into me because I. it's almost like social Olympics because I then now know that I have to have something of value to say.
0: Well, exactly, but I think to be able to offer opinions and talk about different things that people are interested in, you have to have been listening to other people Mm. to put those opinions forward because I want to know why people are like they are.
1: Yeah, same.
0: And I think that interest in people and interest in, in why they are like they are comes from a long way back. My grandfather in particular used to have such a diverse range of friends, from the Russian ambassador in Canberra to Chinese people that were struggling to make ends meet. This is in the 60s. And he was interested in them all. He was just interested in all people. He liked to treat all people with respect. He felt that they all had a an interesting story. He wanted to fight for the rights of everybody, and I think it's an important lesson to learn.
1: What do you think that Grandpa Hendrickson would have thought of me being gay?
0: It wasn't a thing. Back just then. not something that it people was, talked about. No, and I don't remember it ever being spoken about in his time. But I just knew the diversity of people that used to go through their house at Wanda Road. Just any incredible range of people and he would be criticized for being outspoken at, at different times for different groups of people but he was there for social justice he hated war he didn't like religion he didn't like anything that divided people
1: wow and you think of like how relevant that is in today's society and don't you wish that we could all be a little bit more
0: i think appreciative of of the diversity of people and and realise that everyone has a voice and, and you need to listen to people.
1: And how different we are. Yes, we're exactly. We're all so different. Exactly. And which that's is,
0: what makes the world go round.
1: Well, we're going to get into a little bit more of this as the show goes along, but I'd like to find out some of the story of when you grew up. So you grew up in Melbourne, you grew up in East Bentley. Yes, yes. What was your childhood like?
0: Well, I think I had a pretty good childhood, really. We were given a fair amount of freedom. My parents were very young when they had myself and my brother. So we were allowed to roam the streets, ride our bikes. I formed a little bike club with my brother and my cousin and we'd ride our bikes around the streets and I'd make maps of everywhere I went. (laughs) I still love maps and bike riding, Because we weren't allowed inside through the day. We basically had to be outside. My mother wanted peace and quiet in the house. (laughs) And then when my younger brother came along, we would take him outside with us. But we just played all the neighbourhood children. We'd play out in the street or in our backyards and build cubby houses and and just do what we, we wanted to do. It was a pretty free and easy life. And as long as we turned up for meals, that was fine. I remember at four years of age, I had my little case packed for kinder and I must have had a disagreement with my parents. So I picked up my little case and the girl next door and we set off to walk to my grandparents' place and we had the police out looking for us.
1: Is that a sign of your independence?
0: I think so, and my adventurous spirit. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely.
1: Were you in trouble when you got home?
0: Uh, No, I think they were just so relieved that we were in one (laughs) place.
1: I love that you grabbed the next door neighbour as well. Is that Julie? Julie, yes,
0: yes. That's right. She was younger than me (laughs) and she was worried.
1: (laughs) What about then the relationship then with your parents? Like what do you think that they taught you?
0: Well, family was very important. We shared meals with our grandparents and extended family most Saturdays and Sundays until I left school. Education was really important. My mother was determined that as a girl I would fully develop my abilities as far as education was concerned and I remember even at university, and you know, I was breastfeeding and my mother would sit in the car while I would sit through a three-hour seminar. And at the end of it, I'd dash back out to, <laughs> to feed. But mum was always there to support me wow. with my education.
1: What did she study?
0: She went to RMIT and did dress design. I think she worked as a cutter for a very short time in the city before she was married. But she was married at 21.
1: What about for that generation? Was there a lot of pressure from Grandma for you to be feminine, to be a girly girl?
0: She did try. She <laughs> she was a dressmaker and she wanted me to wear dresses, but I wasn't that girly girl. I never was. Yeah, right. I loved playing football and cricket out in the street. I could run faster than most of the boys in the street. And, yeah, I, I loved bike riding. So I just wasn't that girly girl.
1: So funny. And then you think of... My sister, Sarah, she's exactly. quite girly.
0: She is, and she always was, and yeah. I, I don't know how. She just, <laughs> she just was born that way.
1: Well, I guess you let kids just be who they are because, I mean, exactly. your gender expression had nothing to do with sexuality or anything like that. Your gender expression was that you like to do things that boys and girls like to do.
0: Exactly, and I always wanted for my children to be able to do what, what they wanted, and I didn't really mind what that was. I sort of had a high priority for education, but, you know, as time went by, I realised that wasn't the be-all and end-all of things. You had to follow your passion.
1: Well, now they talk about it. You have to speak your own truth, you know. Exactly. Be true to yourself.
0: Exactly. And it's not up to a parent to decide where their children should be, what they should do. It's up to the child themselves to develop and and fully realise their potential.
1: Is it hard, to you reckon, to be a spectator in that, to watch your kids go and be themselves? Have you thought yes. about that?
0: <laughs> yes, at times I've thought about that. But I've always had a lot of respect for the opinions and the way they were developing. and And I was always prepared, I think, to listen and encourage them to do what they wanted to do.
1: Now, we talked about... Uncle Peter and Uncle Michael, who were mm. your brothers, your two younger brothers. Yes. What dynamic did you play then in that relationship?
0: Mm. Well, Peter was only 18 months younger than me, he is only 18 months mm. younger than me, and I was probably the more dominating one of the two. You were bossy. I was bossy. <laughs> I always wanted to be a teacher and he always had to be the student in my class, along with all the teddy bears and dolls, and he hated it. (laughs) Michael escaped a bit of that because he's eight years younger than me. So, you know, our relationship was always a little bit different. But Peter and I became good friends as we grew up. We've travelled the world together a couple of times.
1: Were you competitive with him?
0: I don't think so. I don't. I don't think I needed to be.
1: <laughs> what? Because you're always winning.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I think I heard this before. I think you were cheating when you used to play board games with him when when you guys were little.
0: Yes, yes. We used to play card games. Well, I'd just have a look at the kitty or whatever. <laughs> but I, I think I was a more I was more competitive. I was competitive in sport. But then my brothers, as they grew up, they developed into stronger individuals i think without my influence around
1: do you know what is i think surprising for me because i'm i'm your son so like i've watched through my eyes when we had family functions uncle peter was the one that got up and spoke on behalf of the children and he was the middle child mm. where was the point where you as the elder child said i'm not getting up and speaking on behalf of the siblings peter you can do it oh. Because there must have been a point as you were kids where you would have been the eldest, so they probably called upon you to be the...
0: Not really. I think in social situations, wherever in our adult lives, whenever it required someone to speak on our behalf, it was always my choice to choose Peter. Mm. I guess we grew up in at a time when it was up to the men to speak out. And fortunately, things have changed. But at that time even my parents i think that's what they expected of peter as well for him to be the spokesperson and you can see my mother's delight even today she has dementia but if peter says something it's okay it's gospel it's yeah. true if i say something oh maybe we better check with peter oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Does that do something then to your confidence? Did did that affect your confidence in a way, or did you just think, well, that's what society is telling us at this point?
0: I don't think it ever dented my confidence, no. But I think through my life's experiences, I ended up taking a bit more of a back seat in the way I listened to conversations, and perhaps I was often worn out with teaching, running a household, doing everything, getting everyone ready. I was more than happy to sit back and relax and listen to others talk.
1: What about school? What school did you go to? Korowa. Did you love school?
0: I loved the sport. I live for sport. I used to be at school by eight o'clock and sometimes not leave until six. And then in year 12, I was the house captain of my house. I was the fastest runner in my house from (laughs) year nine right through to year 12.
1: You know what's interesting though? I think you were... A prefect at school. Mm. So you're a bit of a goody two shoes.
0: Well, I never saw myself as one. I, oh, come it was on. the surprise of my life <laughs> to ever be given the role as prefect because I don't think I've I fitted in with the rest of the prefects. So they're all far more studious than I was, far more academic, and they've become very successful women today in society. So I have no idea why I was ever made a prefect.
1: Did you ever get into trouble? Yes. Yeah, you know where I'm going with it. (laughs) I don't know why, but I loved hearing when people who are good do bad things.
0: Yes, well, I remember my best friend at school was Jewish and we'd have to go walk off to the local church for a church service or whatever. And um, my friend said to me this day, well, I'm not going. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'll stay with you. So we wagged the church service. (laughs) Well, that was just not the thing to do. Not if you are a prefect. We did get into trouble.
1: Do you know what I also loved was that by the time I went to school, you would go to the parent-teacher interviews and they would tell you that I was talkative in class.
0: Yes, I was always told the same thing. And
1: then you were told the same. So I didn't get into too much trouble because how could you tell me off when you had done the same thing?
0: Exactly. And I used to listen to some of your teachers at secondary school and think, you know, they don't know the first thing about connecting with students and so I used to think well if they're not going to do a great job of teaching well I can't expect you to be the perfect student.
1: (laughs) My mother ladies and gentlemen, my mother I think it's a good attitude to have. What would you say growing up in like the 60s and 70s that's Mm -hmm. the timing that you were going through your sort of education how different was going through school for that generation compared to what we see now with
0: children? Ah, well, I think one of the biggest differences in is that in those days, parents weren't involved in education at all. My parents sent us off to school, we walked to school, and they rarely stepped inside the school grounds. Mm. And I don't know, they weren't even, even involved in my homework that I remember. That was all totally left to me. Occasionally I'd ask for opinions on something, but... Or if I didn't know something about something and I had to write an essay, I would perhaps ask. But basically, our education was left to us.
1: How much of an impact does that make? Do you think it's better these days that parents are more involved with their kids' education?
0: In some ways, yes, yes. I think I like the fact that education these days involves parents coming into the classroom, sometimes in the younger years, so that they can recognise what teachers do, and also it it helps them to support their children in their learning. What I don't like is when the parents then take over. They still have
1: to respect the teacher.
0: Well, yes, and they have to respect their child and their child's independence and allow their child to develop the way they choose
1: what I think is also interesting about that time is maybe sexuality like you think about the way we talk about sexuality these days it's Mm. very different to what was happening back then I always wanted to know what was your first understanding that there could be same-sex attracted people
0: Hmm. I can't remember that ever being an issue while I was at school or not even a parent anywhere I had no understanding of that while I was at school
1: And then what did you think of of gay people in general? I mean, think about the time. I don't
0: think I really even had an opinion. I I did think in what I read, I would read about some historical novels and there would be men who would be married for the show, but then they had a male lover on the side. Mm. But it just, I thought, oh, that's a shame (laughs) that they had to cover up like that.
1: Why couldn't they just be themselves? Yes,
0: exactly. But I don't think I ever had strong opinions either way.
1: Did you ever think what would happen if I had children? And you thought, well, what happens if one of my children would be gay? Or was it something that never even crossed your mind?
0: Never even crossed my mind. But then lots of things never crossed my mind. I think I was told once that I had a very narrow upbringing. But really, I guess most people perhaps had narrow upbringings through the 50s and 60s. But I had no experience of divorce. I had no experience of homosexuality. I had no experience of real poverty. I had no experience of different religions Mm. or races for that matter. So it was a pretty insular life when I reflect back.
1: And then you think of what happens in your later life. You get divorced. (laughs) You get a gay son, you know.
0: (laughs) I know. But religion
1: doesn't become as important. I mean, you were religious to a certain extent as I in was, you were brought up to be yes,
0: Church of England mm. and um I went to Sunday school from the time I was 4 until I was 15.
1: Why do you think that you distance yourself from religion? Was it was it a timing issue? Was it that you didn't have the time for it or No,
0: it was perhaps when I was first divorced. I thought I wasn't sure how I would fit into the church. I and where I stood with that. I think things have changed considerably these days. Would you ever
1: go back to church?
0: Well, I still sometimes like to go to church more as a a place and time for reflection on where I'm at, a bit like meditation, if you like.
1: See, I think this is what you taught me, and that is to take the best out of situations. So I think with your understanding of religion, you've kind of adopted or borrowed the things that have worked for you, the spirituality side of it, where some of the other sort of of out-of-date traditions you've kind of left behind.
0: Yes, I uh, I think so. I'm very much for social justice.
1: In some ways, some religions don't represent enough social
0: justice. Yes, I do remember at the time of the split with the um, DLP and the Labor Party, Being a very strong, my grandfather was adamant that the church should not be dictating how people voted, where church becomes a dominating influence on how you lead your life. I don't have the time or respect for that.
1: Isn't that so fascinating when you think about the Capital C Conservative Party with Scott Morrison and Kevin Andrews, Tony Abbott, and you think of those conservative men still trying to bring religion into politics and how out of date that sounds when you think of your grandfather who didn't support that, you know.
0: Absolutely, but he was on the other side of politics as well.
1: Yeah, I guess so. It's important to to realise that, but that's actually, it's a really interesting time when you look at those beliefs that he would have, and we're talking, you know, 50, 60 years ago to have those beliefs. Yes. And then to think that we still argue or we're still talking about that now.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Who were your role models when you were growing up? Who did you look up to?
0: I think at school, I had a lot of respect for my fellow students. In year 12, I was in a math science class. And I remember being absolutely amazed by the the intelligence of those girls. A lot of them went on to have incredible careers. Wow. And it was quite something because we're talking, I finished school in 1970. So we're talking quite a long time ago.
1: So academia, you were inspired by academia.
0: I was. I was always curious, always wanted to learn. I'm still studying French. I'm still interested in history and geography and, and the world. I love yeah. traveling. I love finding out about different communities and how they operate and different beliefs.
1: Isn't that so surprising? You think about it now. How old are you now?
0: <laughs> Nearly sixty. 66. <Never>. 66, <laughs> 66 yeah. I know, but think Nearly. about it,
1: is still educating yourself at 66, which I think yes. is so important. You know, that's what's keeping, I think that's what keeps your mind alive. Like we, we need to continue to educate ourselves, I think.
0: Absolutely. I think the most important things as you get older are to continue learning, to continue doing stuff, being fit.
1: Well, you shock me because you're still, still learning. You can ride 30 kilometres on a bike.
0: I can ride 40 kilometres on a okay, bike. Okay, <laughs> well, that's impressing me. I love
1: that I'm nearly 40 and I'm like, oh, God, that seems like a lot.
0: I can ride a bike from Diamond <laughs> Creek to Fairfield.
1: <laughs> think Looking back, do you think that you would think you would be this person being that you're so active physically and, you know, still educating yourself? Is that surprising?
0: I don't, I don't think it is because I think that's the way I've always been. I remember I played netball until I was 40. But I'm very pleased that I, I, I was so interested in sport and keeping fit because mm. I think that really helps me out now. Helps me out in so many ways, so, you know, through times of cancer, times of marriage breakups or whatever.
1: But it's also um, connecting to community because I think that's also what was so much a part of it. Yes, you played the sport, but then I remember you sitting around with other women that you yes. played the sport with and sharing your stories. I think lean on those friendships and appreciate yes. those friendships and share with them. I think that was just about just yes. as much about community as it was about the sport.
0: That's true. I'm I'm still friends with my girlfriends from year seven. Yeah. <laughs> and they are all physically fit women, still mm. with a thirst for knowledge. They are yeah, all still strong, dynamic women.
1: Isn't that weird to still connect to those same women all these years later, like think about what's happened. They've had you've had children, you've had been married, you've mm. been divorced, you know, you battled cancer, and then you think of still having those same women in your life. I think that's powerful.
0: I think that's probably part of what's held me together over the years. Yes, mm. to have people who I can talk with, find out about different things. But share our share what we're going what's going on in our lives sort of working it out together sometimes that's all it takes you just need someone to listen to you and you know you can formulate where you should be going Mm. with just the having someone who's who's got that empathy and will listen to you
1: I think what you do really well and I think I look up to that emotion is non-judgment I remember You'd go and play basketball and netball. I remember at one point, I think you played three sports a week. Even mm. though you were a teacher, you still played three sports. Yes. I would listen to some of these ladies sharing their stories with you and their grievances or things that they'd done, and you never seemed to judge them at all. And you would give them some advice or you'd tell them what you'd think. But I think non non-judging someone when they want to share... Something of their lives is important in friendship,
0: absolutely, absolutely, And I guess that is something I was brought up to always understand. Never look down on people, mm. always treat people as you would like to be treated yourself. No one is any better than you, no one is any is worse than you. you know yeah. we're all just equal, and I think that a lot of people should keep that in mind.
1: A hundred percent. I'm still listening to all these things that you. I'm still learning. I mean, you're still my mum, so I still learn these things from you. If you could give some advice to Jane mm. at the age of 12, like let's say Jane at the age mm. of 12 walks into this room, <laughs> what advice would you give that person?
0: Enter life with more confidence. Believe in yourself more. I've never had a great amount of confidence in myself and, and I, I should have had that confidence
1: See, I think of you as being really confident, but you don't know what's going on inside you people's don't. minds. No. I often think that people think I'm way more confident than I really
0: am. Exactly, and so and I'm not. That's I'm exactly like... me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not that confident person, but people think I handle different situations calmly and mm. thoughtfully, and whatever, and that I'm reasonably confident. It's no, I, that's not really me inside. I'm an anxious chaotic mess
1: (laughs) I feel like I should high-five you over the desk but you don't (laughs) high-five your mum but I think that's so that's so much of who I am is that I think I look up to wanting to be confident and I try and strive for that
0: I would love to be confident and calm and thoughtful and everything else but
1: (laughs) and also I laugh at the fact that I often go to bed at night and I think about all the things that I did throughout the day that I think I wish I had done differently and I remember talking to you about that I think when I was 30 And you said, I do that.
0: But I'm trying to train myself now to think of three things that I've done well that day. And it's a far more positive way Mm. to look at things. But my natural fallback is to analyse the the problems (laughs) that I've had through the day and how I could have done things better. But now I am starting to acknowledge the three things that I have done well that day. And and it's doing a lot better better for my mind but that's
1: great mindfulness though
0: because I've probably made a whole heap of mistakes in my life but I do think I've considered my choices uh, and I've made them and I need to live with them and and as a result it's been a pretty good life Mm. even though I've had a whole lot of ups and downs
1: I thought about coming in here today and I was like, I've got all these questions and I thought that I didn't want to ask anything that was going to make you emotional. Mm. And then I sit here and I'm asking a lot of these questions and it makes me emotional Mm. and I've got to go pull yourself together and get through these questions. But I think it's hard not to be emotional sometimes when you're being reflective. And this is an unusual situation because normally you don't get to sit down and have a conversation with your mother about, what's happened in our lives
0: that's true but we've always had a good rapport yeah and and we've always enjoyed meeting up for a dinner or lunch or a cup of coffee or whatever and chatting about what's gone on in our lives so you
1: know we share a friendship as much as yes exactly parenting involved so we have to talk about this because we're on an lgbti radio station this is an lgbti podcast what age do you think you thought about my sexuality growing up
0: well, your father used to tell me that uh, being a single mum, I was bringing you up to be gay, gay. children. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't see that that was it. I mean, you have to love your children. <laughs> and I don't think what I did in any way, shape, or form uh, formed
1: my sexuality. Your sexuality. But yes. do you think about that as in, like, environment and hereditary? Do you place that somewhere?
0: I would say it's hereditary.
1: Which side of the family did I get my gayness from?
0: Well, could be either side. <laughs> I
1: don't know if there is that many gay people in the Hendrickson side.
0: Well, my cousin's son, Susan's oh, yeah. son.
1: Yeah, I guess. Oh, there we go. We're now plotting where they yeah. all fall. I mean, for me personally, I've always thought it was hereditar- hereditary. I think sometimes when I'm doing word for word and I speak to people about their upbringing and they believe very strongly that it's environment... I'm challenged by it, but it still doesn't make me think that that's the reality. I think for me, my sexuality was determined right from the start.
0: I think it probably was. As a young boy, I did occasionally think that perhaps you, you may be gay, but...
1: Did you have conversations with anyone about it?
0: Um, I did... When you're at secondary school, I definitely did. Um, I used to talk about it with my husband. and uh, But then I was never really sure. I read some of the stuff that you wrote and I thought, mm, you know, mm. you could be gay. But then you had posters of women up in your bedroom. You had girlfriends. So I thought, well, it's not something I want to bring up with you. I felt that you would come to terms with Whoever you were in your own good time. And I didn't think it was up to me to be trying to direct you in any direction.
1: Is that a conscious decision to allow me to be comfortable to come to you for that? Yes. It like, was. did you have to go, okay, I want to ask or I want to explore or make him feel comfortable too, but I, at the same time, I have to allow it to happen in its own time?
0: Well, I guess in a way, I was influenced by my husband at the time. He was very much one to let things unfold. He wasn't one to bring it to the fore, whereas I could possibly have done that. And I had a lot of respect for the way he dealt with certain things like that, whether it was for the right or wrong, I'm not sure. But
1: I think it's the right thing. Like, I hear that story again and again, and I have parents come to me and say, well, I think my child's gay. Like, mm. what do I do? And I always say, you've got to let them... Follow their own story, and once it's available to them, they'll come and tell you. And that's the that's, I believe, is the right order.
0: Yes, I do remember your father and I both sitting and watching a year 10 performance, perhaps. And you came out dressed as a woman, and we looked at each other and thought, Here we go. Oh, this is different. (laughs) But I don't think even then we actually discussed it, but yeah. He perhaps thought about it a lot more than I did. Well, I, You were a very good actor, so I thought that's probably just a role that you're taking on at the time.
1: Mm. I don't think I worked my sexuality out until I was a lot older. So like, I think it was good that I had been left to my own devices and my own timelines because had I been spoken to about it, it, it would have been hurtful. And I think that's what was really hurtful for me growing up was that people knew my sexuality before i knew what it was so that mm. to me was it was quite painful to think that that was being discussed or labeled
0: yes but i do remember what the phone call that i had when you rang me and said i'd like to meet for coffee and i thought mm. i was driving along with my husband at the time and he uh, i said i think he's going to tell me that he's gay and he said Yep, I think it is. So Be so finally ready. So even though we it wasn't really much of a topic of conversation between us, but we both sort of acknowledged it and had, had talked about it from at some stage. Uh, but we both thought that and of course that's what it was and and, and it was then that you told me you thought you were bisexual. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, <laughs> i don 't think I thought that that was the case, <laughs> so i must have i don 't remember coming uh, actually that realization of of exactly who you were mm. but I must have come to that realization before you actually told me so um, you'd
1: you 'd sort of made peace with the fact that that 's probably what was happening
0: yes yes, i think so and and then when you told me, I think that that definitely had an impact. And, you know, I went home just dwelling on it for a bit and woke up the next day and I thought, really, you're just the same person as you were the day before. Nothing's changed. You are exactly the same (laughs) the the next day. So that conversation didn't really change anything.
1: Were you worried for me, being a mother who has a gay son, in the 90s, like you think?
0: Again, I think I was a little bit naive and... I don't think I fully realise the implications of, of being gay and and exactly what that may mean for you. Um, uh, so not really. I don't think so. I, it did have a bit more of an impact when I told your sister mm. and she was devastated and cried and cried but she was only a young child at, at primary school and... She didn't have much of an idea about what what that involved either.
1: Well, you think of the language that's being used, you know, that's so gay or um, faggot or different words exactly. that are used in such a derogatory way, especially amongst young children.
0: And that's all she'd heard. And so I'm so glad that I had that conversation with her at that young age because um, it gave her a chance to actually think about the situation and um and come to terms with it and have an appreciation for it and mm. just uh I'm very proud of the way that she is in her life. Um I think she probably became more accepting of of a wider range of people, not only sexually and but racially and in gender many, uh, expression as gen- well. Yes, gender expression in every way Uh, I I, and I'm hoping this the younger generation are far more inclusive of all people
1: were you worried about talking about sexuality and gender and my story with my sister did did you think it's she's too young did you think all
0: I was worried about how that might impact on her socially I think and how she would manage that and have conversations within her circle of friends and whether they would be um, negative negative about mm it I think that was what I was a bit concerned about
1: Mm. but in lots of ways having that conversation with her by no means uh, confused her it actually it was a, it was a good thing. Like there was more was positives excellent. that come out of it yes. than there was a negative.
0: Exactly, and it meant that our conversations around the dinner table included her. She wasn't excluded because she didn't know. And
1: well, let's face it, Sarah's never been very good with being excluded. <laughs> the one thing, you, like a swear she hates word, that. she could. If you said to her, "We'll tell you when you're older," man, oh man. <laughs> She would tear us a new one. <laughs> exactly. You know. She exactly. demanded to be spoken. like, And yes. considering that she's 14 years younger than me, she still always wanted to be spoken to like her older siblings.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. And again, I think I'm very glad that you know that's the way it turned out, that I was able to speak to her about it at a young age. What about
1: HIV and AIDS or the fear that was being put in? Because I remember when I was growing up, there was those ads for HIV. And about Mm, the the, Grim Reaper. Reaper.
0: Mm, I remember those. And
1: I remember you having a very strong opinion about those ads because you wanted the ads taken off the television. Uh,
0: Well, I didn't think fear was the way to go about anything. Um, I used to listen to, you know, in church telling you if you didn't believe you didn't do this and that, you'd end up in hell and all the problems involved in that and i thought the same about those grim reaper ads but then reflecting back i think as, you know it was a pretty dire situation it had to hit home with more people and and i i don't know how else it could have been done
1: but did that become a fear for you when i told you what my sexuality was was that even a factor
0: I don't think so.
1: That's that naivety where you're like...
0: Naivety, I think.
1: <laughs> you're like... I
0: think I was probably thinking, oh, but you, you won't be a, be a father to mm. children. I think that probably had more impact on me. But...
1: How important, though, for you as a mother was it for me to be a father and have children myself?
0: I w- was always adamant that as far as my children were concerned, they're that they're my concern. Mm. grandchildren, and I've got a lovely grandson now, mm. that's that's another realm, you know, but your children are your children and you just want them to to live the life that, that they want to lead and have choices to do what they want in their life. And, frankly, my three children have given me plenty to think about <laughs> and I haven't got – I can't take on – yeah. Too
1: much more. <laughs> but I think that's a good way to look at it, to compartmentalise that and go, well, I, I'm not going to put pressure. Like, you've never put pressure on me to be anything or to do anything. You can't then be disappointed that I'm not going to have children. I mean, I no. might. I mean, you know, we don't – Well, exactly, we, but that's know. your
0: choice. And and I, I I would never want to put pressure mm. on on my kids that, you know, to have children of their own because it's a huge responsibility and it's something that you really have to want to do and decide that that is for you um and it's not for everyone and i don't think the me back then when you were saying that you were gay i, I don't think i would have had that um appreciation the fact that you know it is a person's choice whether they want children or not And that there are plenty of children who decide, no, that's not for them.
1: Mm, Whether they're gay or straight.
0: Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And I have a number of, of female friends who have chosen not to have children for all sorts of reasons.
1: What about grandma and grandpa? Did they, were they okay about my sexuality?
0: I think Mum always was, but Dad said to me that it was just a stage. You were just experimenting. <laughs> I thought, oh, I don't,
1: I don't think, think so. so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, well, just leave it, and and he came round. Well, that's so-, so
1: interesting because I think of them being from such a different generation, and I don't remember them ever being any different. And you know me, I, I was very cl- I'm like, I was extremely close to my grandparents yeah. throughout my younger life like even I mean I still went into your on. 20s into yes. my 20s I still would go caravanning with exactly. them exactly till I was 25 <laughs> what a weirdo I didn't go to schoolies when school finished because I went caravanning with grandma oh, no. and grandpa but I had a, a relationship with them and it was never they, I never saw it I'm not trying to work out the words on how to describe it but they just never changed the way they were with me whether one day they knew it or one day they did 't, mm. They still loved me the same way.
0: Exactly. But I think that's just one of the many things that, you know, they had to accept amongst their grandchildren. Let's face it, There's such a diverse group again mm. and everyone has their different ways and sometimes it perhaps wasn't what they absolutely wanted for, um, their, for, grandchildren, for their grandchildren for their yeah. or grandchildren. But I think in lots of ways by being um, exposed to more, a wider range of views, it, it helps them mature and take another step in their lives.
1: But again, that's still their values of being inclusive and being understanding of diverse stories. I mean, they exactly they but did uh, still try and...
0: Yes, although it didn't extend to racial no. slurs... <laughs>
1: But then I guess that's generational. What do you think about sexuality back then to what it's like now? Do you think that we've come a long way in the way that in society here in Australia we are more accepting of gay people?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And I think that was one of my proudest moments, seeing you on Big Brother <laughs> and, and showing you know, young children as well. I was a, a, t- a primary school teacher at that time. And showing young children that, you know, uh, here's a gay person on television with a boyfriend. And I was just very, very proud of the fact that you were showing the general public that you were just an ordinary person. And the fact that you were gay didn't change who you were very much at all.
1: No. You were
0: just... An ordinary run-of-the-mill person and it's, it was a very good point to put forward on mainstream television at that time.
1: Do you know what's really funny and this always is the story that I remember from Big Brother. I don't even know if you remember this the way that I do but I'll never forget the day after that proposal happened on Big Brother that I did a radio show the next day and they sit, they took callers and they were like the first caller came through and the lady said Oh hi Ben You know We watched Big Brother last night And I want you to know That about half an hour After the show was over uh, Her son came into the lounge room And said I'm gay And I want you to love me The way that Ben's mum Mm. Loves him And I was like That was so powerful Because I don't think I set out to go on Big Brother To make that kind of a connection
0: No I don't think you did either I think you just um... I
1: just wanted to be on the show
0: Exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you always wanted to be on that show. But I think from then on I was approached by lots of people and um, by lots of parents of children that I taught and they said that they allowed their young children to watch Big Brother and they thought it was an important message to get out there for their young children, mm. not not just for you know other adults or older children, but for all children so that they realise the diversity of children in their own classes and from a very young age and yeah. and just are far more accepting of people who are different and everyone's different, let's face it.
1: Yeah, but I think that's what was so weird about that scenario though is that we absolutely didn't set out to be a role model or to demonstrate anything. We just had a relationship that once we, you pick that up and put that onto television, it transpired in a way that I think was important for young Australians to see that regardless of my sexuality, that you as a mother and me as your son, we had a strong relationship.
0: Exactly. And really, whether you were gay or not, just didn't enter into it. No.
1: What does that experience then feel like to you now when you look back at that?
0: Uh, That big brother time was an amazing part of our lives. I think you always wanted to be on Big Brother and to actually win it was just an incredible time for yeah. you. You'd gone through a hell of a lot to actually get on, on that show, just in your personal life as mm. well. The fact that you were gay just didn't, didn't come into it.
1: <laughs> but see, I still think that's why. There's been gay people on Big Brother every year. They put a gay person in mm. there or they can put in a few. And I think that that's my sexuality. Being on that show was never... What I felt was representing me, but I don't see myself as as gay as I am. Like, yes, people see me and they straight away know, but in my, I live my life in a bubble where I think this is all normal. You know what I mean? Like, I'm but not- it is
0: normal. That is just who you are. So I don't think of you as one thing or another. You're just my son, and I I certainly don't see you as gay. But then I I think gay. There's so many different types of gay, the same as there's so many different types of heterosexual people, so
1: so many stories
0: yes, yes, so i I don't see you as being any any different, and in fact. I sometimes say to people, but I don't think he, he looks gay or seems gay. And people just look at me as if I'm a bit strange. But <laughs> I guess it's I just, just... not
1: what you're looking for, though. When I guess that's I just I, guess, yeah. I
0: just don't think about it.
1: But that, I guess that's what we all should be doing. I think we all should not be having to box people too much. I don't think we well, need... Well,
0: exactly. I, I, you know, heterosexual people are not asked every day exactly what goes on in their personal lives like that. So... I don't see why anyone has to account for what they do.
1: What's your best advice to parents that have come and spoken to you about having a gay son? Like what advice do you give them?
0: I would say just listen to them, support them,
1: hmm. s-
0: follow through with the interest. Just Perhaps they may need a little bit of added support and encouragement, you know, to feel confident. But that's about it. Just treat them the way you would treat any any child. Isn't
1: it weird when you think about these parents that send their kids off to conversion therapy where they're so worried about their children's sexuality that they think, oh, well, I'm going to go and ship them off to be converted?
0: Well, I don't know. Maybe they'd better develop schools. You know, you do hear of parents who want their children to be a doctor from the age of six. And... You know, they're, obviously their child's never going to be a doctor. You know, perhaps they need to go to conversion therapy to become a doctor. I mean, how can you make your children into what you want? I mean, it's just ridiculous, the whole notion of it.
1: Well, yeah. getting your children to be what you, you want them to be. What you want them
0: to be. You know, they are who they are. They've got their own DNA. Just allow them to do it.
1: <laughs> I love the way that you describe that you could... No more expect your child to change sexuality as you could have them be a doctor or a garbologist or (laughs) whatever that they're going to do. You know, you can't assume or put pressure on children to be something that they're not. Exactly. That was the other thing was, it's interesting, if you look at 2012, so Ben and I got engaged and then since then we've had marriage equality, the marriage equality debate. Mm. What did you think through the marriage equality debate? Because interestingly enough, I was Googling, I was doing some research today on you coming in here and then I came across a few articles that you did straight after Big Brother and one of the headlines was Benjamin's mother pleads to Julia Gillard about marriage equality.
0: Well, it just needed to happen. But it's not just about marriage equality. You know, people shouldn't be discriminated against in this society. People should be free if, you know... All people, should. they should be allowed to marry if they want to. They should be allowed to have children. They should be allowed to become part of any, a religion if they want to, as long as they're not hurting other people. As long as you're treating other people like you would like to be treated, mm. then I think that's a pretty good benchmark. And you can't have laws saying, well, you're allowed to marry, but you're not. I think we just need to be inclusive in this world, especially, you know, that's why our ancestors came here, to have a society where we're free.
1: And that's what we should still fight for. Exactly. Over the years of talking and even doing word for word, I've been discussing LGBTI, like the whole LGBTI landscape. What's something that you have learned over the years of us discussing things? because you'll often listen to the show and then call me like a couple of days later and say, well, this person said that, that's a little bit interesting. What's something that you learned about the LGBTI community through our discussions?
0: Well, I would say I have learnt so much from listening to Word for Word each week. <laughs> um, I guess there's sometimes, they're just not topics that you feel comfortable with just bringing up. Hmm. But, but when you're listening to a program like that, you actually find out a whole lot about diff- different people and the way they lead their lives, and and I, I think it's just interesting, and, and I think it's good to develop an insight and, a, and a, an appreciation for what people go through. Mm. You know, some people have to fight so hard to just for their own freedom, and they, they shouldn't have to fight that hard. They should be just allowed to be and become who they want to be.
1: Absolutely. Have you got a message for the queer community that might be listening to this right now?
0: I would say be proud of who you are and be determined to to live a good full life however you want to lead it.
1: Well, Mum, <laughs> my mother, thank you so much for joining us on Word for Word.
0: It's been a pleasure. <laughs>
1: Word for Word is presented and produced by Ben Norris from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Word for Word is distributed nationally to over 70 radio stations across the community radio network. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help keep
0: Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au.